Yeah, so cool to start our, uh, our message, our sermon, uh, wherever you're watching online uh, or in our six locations. So cool to start with a story of life change. Want to welcome everybody in one of our six locations here in northwest Georgia, the greater Tennessee Valley, Chattanooga area, uh, Ecuador. Here's just another cool thing I'll share with you before we get going. Someone from our that's watching in Ecuador has reached out to me this week, and uh, they want me to baptize them. They're ready to be baptized. We're going to figure out how to do that digitally or virtually, and uh, we're going to show that video, and I'm fired up trying to work out the details, but hey, God's word's not bound, and uh, digitally, the church can just get all over the world, and we're a part of that, so thank you, Rockbridge. God keeps his promises to build his church. So we're in the middle of this series called Half Full, and we've just basically said, as way of a review, we've said the most repeated command of God in the Bible has to do with we're supposed to be happy. Uh, and and we've a lot of us have been shocked because that's not the God we grew up with or the God we were that was modeled before us. And, and and sometimes our struggle with God is we thought God was telling us to go here, and we were like, if I go there, I won't be happy. I want to go here, God, and we've done it our way. But it's really the opposite in Scripture that God is very much for our happiness. And so we're just on this quest of, hey, when we look at this, are we going to be half-empty people or are we going to be half-full people? And in that quest, one of our great challenges, and it's, it's a great challenge of all humanity, really, is to see things clearly. You know, we have a perception and we see things, but we have to see things clearly. And this is why, this is why like football coaches have game film and they can slow the game down and see what the other team's doing and see what players are doing clearly. This is why we, we wear glasses or contact lenses. This is why we have LASIK surgeries, why we have lighting you know, on our cars and in our dashboards and in our houses. This is why we use binoculars and microscopes and telescopes because we need to see things clearly. Now, we're going to talk specifically about a, a capacity that you and I have, it's God-given, a capacity that you and I have as human beings in our quest to see clearly, and that is we are magnifiers, that we can look at something and magnify it for better or for worse. We can look at something and we magnify it, and, and how we magnify affects our mood whether we're half full or half empty. Just, just think about what you do. Just think about what you do. Like, think about text messaging. And we, that's like so many people's new and, and, and preferred method of communication. And, and we can't understand what people's emotions are, so we create emojis. Because have you ever misinterpreted someone's text and you magnified it and you got yourself worked up in a bad mood over nothing? Like for imagine, imagine this, imagine your wife, you're, you're a guy and your wife texts you and says, hey, I, I, I've got this, I've got your favorite meal prepared for tonight and a favorite dessert and, uh, you know, I've shipped the kids off to the neighbors and just, can you, can you come home? And, and, and the husband, you, you're excited, but you just text back two letters, okay. And she gets that and magnifies it, but she doesn't magnify it half a full, she magnifies it just Okay. Just really? Oh, I'm doing all this and just okay? And she has no idea. He's really excited. But so magnification affects our mood. Magnification affects our mood. We magnify sports and we get worked up about our sports teams. We magnify our politics. I was reading this article and this guy, he was going back to the 1980s and he said, every four years, this has been said about every single presidential election, the most consequential presidential election of our lifetime. Well, that can't be true if you've lived through more than one, right? 
I mean, it's just crazy, but we magnify, and how we magnify affects our mood, and how we magnify affects are we seeing things clearly. So here's the question we're going to wrestle with today. What about God? Do we see him clearly? Uh, Do we magnify God? Do we minimize God? Because whether we understand this or not, how you view God tells everything about you. From the atheist to the traditionalist to the new Christian to the person who's kept kicking the tires to you who are struggling to give God a part of your life, uh, just how you view God is going to just dictate the so many things in your mood and your direction. And, and I think we have a contemporary problem. We don't always know it because none of you walked in here and say, you know what my biggest problem is? My biggest problem is I just don't see God clearly. None of you did that. You you walked in and you said, you know what I did today? You know what my kid's going through? You know what the doctor told me? Uh, Or you you walked in and like, man, I'm excited about the meeting I've got tomorrow because we could close this deal and I'm going to praise God for that. So so nobody walked in here saying, hey, I don't see God clearly. But but honestly, as we're going to see, we have a view of God problem going on in the world today. And I just want to read parts of a quote from a guy named J.B. Phillips. And he said this, he said, the trouble with many people today is they have is that they have not found a god big enough for modern needs maybe they found a one hour a week god maybe they found a catholic god a baptist god a methodist god a bible belt god but they haven't found a god big enough for modern needs and look what he is so insightful how he writes this. He goes, our experience of life has grown. Mental horizons have expanded by events and discoveries. I mean, think about it. We, our country, our, our, our scientists our, produced a vaccine in record time, scientifically, medically. That's, it, it's like a, it literally is a, a kind of somewhat of a miracle. And so now we're talking differently, thinking differently. But here's the challenge, though. And he says it. He goes, ideas of God have largely remained static. So, so if you grew up with a God who was presented to you on a flannel graph and, and, and your view of God hasn't changed, if you grew up with a view of God who's like, oh, man, if I just pray this prayer, walk this aisle, get baptized, me and God are good and I'll see him later. You know, or you grew up with this view of God and God was always out to get you and you were never sure how to keep the big man upstairs off your back. Or you grew up with this view of God like, hey, as long as you say a couple of prayers, you know, now I lay me down to sleep and, and go to church most of the time and, and generally be a good person, then, then God and you are good. And if your view of God has not changed, that's going to create a problem, Right. Because look at how our world has changed and how discoveries have changed and challenges have changed. So here's here's what he says. So in our minds, we do not have a God who's big enough to account for life, big enough to fit in with the new scientific age, or big enough to capture our highest admiration, respect, and willing cooperation. So I am literally talking with people, and I think many of you are, in the wake of everything that's happened, talking to people. Some of them have been in church all their lives. Some of them are just now kind of checking. And all of them, though, are like, man, what does God have to say about these things? What, what, is, a, is there a God who can speak into what we've dealt with, what I'm dealing with? And, 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 it's just, and I think it's a healthy question. Because it's this question of, hey, is the typical, traditional, Bible Belt, American, one hour a week, couple times a year, is that God big enough? And no, he's not. But I'm just going to say that's not the real God. And and, and so 
the, the kind of the, the main point is that a small or deficient view of God is going to be our biggest barrier to a half full life. And we're going to magnify problems. We're going to magnify ourselves. And God's just going to appear however he first appeared to you when you were 10 or when your grandmom told you about him. Or, or, or you're just like, maybe he's the creator. Maybe he's the man upstairs. And God's just sort of static. Maybe he seems powerless. Maybe he seems indifferent. Maybe he seems different. Maybe he seems meh. You're just not really sure. And I mean, think about just various what I would call small views of God. I mean, there, there, there's some folks, there, there, there's some folks who, sorry about this, there should be a little space there. There's some folks who, who God is just, uh, their emotions. I, I hear people all the time like, I just don't feel God. Uh, if that's your litmus test, there's, yeah, there's going to be challenges because he's way bigger and way beyond our emotional capacity. There's, there's folks who are just the belief God. Well, I believe in God and that's it. That's it. And I, saying I believe in God and I'm going through cancer, I'm going through a divorce, I'm trying to make a decision about college, about marriage, about which house to buy, which car to buy. I mean, I got attacked on social media. I mean, but I believe in God. That God's insufficient. Then there's slot machine God, right? I'm trying to figure out the right combination for God to come in and bless me and let me be happy and healthy and wealthy. And I keep pulling the lever. I keep going to church. I keep praying. I keep doing this. And, and, and sooner or later, I'm gonna, God's going to give me the jackpot. That's a small view of God. And, and, and you got tradition God who, who hey, well, I, I just picked up God from my mom, my dad, and the church I grew up in. And that's my view of God. That's going to be insufficient. At some point, you're going to bump up into life and have tradition, God, and what's going on in your life, and you're going to look at yourself and say, half empty, and this God's insufficient. And then we got secret service God that, hey, God's just out there somewhere with his guardian angels, and he's going to protect me from everything. And, and a lot of people get all bent out of shape at God because they're like, he's a terrible secret service agent. But nowhere in that book, his book, do we get a view of God that makes us immune or exempt to the brokenness and fallenness of the world and of humanity. So what's our solution? We got to see God correctly. So we're going to look at Psalm 34 this weekend together as a church and in our small groups. And the beautiful thing about Psalm 34 is written by a guy named David. And, and when David writes this psalm, there's some disagreement of when exactly in his lifetime, his timeline of life, he wrote the psalms. But the, but the gist of it is David's not in a good place. Most likely he wrote it when Saul was trying to kill him. So David's got a big problem. And the question I ask when I go into a psalm like this, okay, David's got a big problem because he's got someone trying to kill him, uh, trying to prevent him from becoming the king. So David's got a big problem. Is his God big enough? And can David be happy in the presence of a big problem? Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. I'll be happy in God. His praise will always be on my lips. So these, this language here at all times and always means God is always front of mind for David. David's not going to not look at God. 
Yeah, he's got a problem, but God is always in the picture. God is always in view. God is always in mind. God is that big. And so look what he says, though. He says, look, at all times, his praise will always be on my lips. And so there's this idea that's really powerful and really compelling that when I see God, the way David's seeing God, when I see God, it makes me happy. God, seeing God makes me happy. Now, now think about that. That doesn't necessarily register to us, but, but you understand the concept though, right? Some of us, when we see our, our spouse or our kids, just seeing them makes me happy. That's why you put pictures of them in your office. That's why you have a lock screen on your phone. And usually your lock screen is something that you're proud of or makes you smile, whether it's your dog or your cat or, or your wife or your kids or your grandkids. Seeing things makes us happy. I mean, we could take each other and, and you could say, I want to go to the lake and you could say, I wanted to go to the beach, and you could say, I want to go to the mountains. And when you got there and saw that, you would smile. Seeing things makes you happy. It's like a lock screen. And so David has made God the lock screen of his mind and of his focus, even in his problem. And so seeing God brings praise and, and is a sense of, I'm okay, I'm blessed. Now, then he goes opposite and he says this now. He says, I will boast in the Lord. I'll be proud of God. I'm exalting God. God's big to me, but the humble will hear and be glad. So the humble means I have a correct view of myself coupled with a correct view of God, and I'm happy. Now, if you flip that and look at it opposite, if we make ourselves, our situation, our lives big, and that, that magnification of self opposite of humility can come at the expense of God, then that's a danger because I'm magnifying the wrong thing. I'm magnifying me, myself, and I. So if, so if I had to sort of describe the problem, summarize the problem, it would be this. When we have a small view of God and we couple that with the modern world and all of the advancements and yet all of the problems, and that's the frustration of the secular world that doesn't know God. That's the frustration uh, of a secular society, of an atheistic society is, man, we can do all these things. We can put a man on the moon. We can create, we can get a vaccine to a, a virus we've never seen before in a year, and yet we still have problems. We, we still can't solve happiness problems because people, people aren't happier today than they were 10 years ago. Just go ask anybody that's involved in psychology or counseling or pastoring. People aren't happier today than they were 10 years ago. So, so we're like, oh, we got all these advancements, but we're not happier. We, we've got, we've got, still got death problems. We've still got depression problems. We've still got uh, materialistic problems. We, 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 I mean, there's a mass shooting, you know, 90 miles from here in Atlanta because of, of apparently a sex addiction, and we can't solve that. You know what I'm talking about. So we have a small view of God with this modern world, with all the advancements and all our problems. And there's a magnification malfunction there because this modern stuff is bigger than God and our view of God is incorrect or hasn't, we haven't looked at, at God appropriately <clears throat> or correctly. So, so let me just kind of tell you how this happens. There's four steps, four steps, okay? How we get this insufficient, deficient view of God so all this complexity, frustration, problems kind of bruise in our spirit. Here, here's kind of what happens. First thing is we agree with everything we feel. 
You know, if we feel bad, it's life bad. You know, we disagree with everything we feel. We develop an oh me, what about me approach to life. Oh me, life owes me, the government owes me, God owes me, my boss owes me, um, all this. Uh, 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 oh me, what about me approach to life. We overexpose ourselves to bad news, media, including social, and the perspective of pessimist. We overexpose ourselves to that. And, and, I, and I've been telling you, I've been telling you, the media sells pessimism because you and I are drawn to it. God speaks 2,700 times in that inspired holy book about our happiness, and he died to give it. What are you taking in more? All right. And then what happens, you add these three together, we either allow a scarcity mindset or a victim mindset to grab our soul. And people with a scarcity and victim mindset, you're going to always be half empty. Let me define these for us. Scarcity mindset. There's not enough of X. So it's me and us against you and them. Sounds like Congress, doesn't it? There's not enough of X. So it's me and us against you and them. Reminds me of the early days of the pandemic. You ever go to the grocery, grocery store? What was it? Toilet paper. And you got to beat that lady, right? Because her buggy's got space, right? I'm convinced when they look back in history and they teach this, future generations are not going to think of this pandemic as a deadly virus. They're going to think of it as a diarrhea virus, okay? Because of this, the scarcity mindset. But we can develop this scarcity mindset, and yet we have a God who says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. A victim mindset, on the other hand, is, hey, because of them, they, and this, them, they, and this, I'm stuck, I'm helpless, I can't change, and so the best is behind me or beyond me. David, let's go back to David. He's being chased by the most powerful man in the land, Saul. Saul wants to kill him. Is David a victim? Is David a victim? Is David have a scarcity mindset or is David playing the victim card? Look at what he says in verse 3. Depends on your translation, but he says proclaim, or here's the word, magnify. Blow God up to see him correctly. Let's magnify the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. Remember, when I see God correctly, I get happy. It's a product of seeing glory. So proclaim, magnify the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now, you and I have two ways to magnify in general. I'll use this metaphor. We can microscope something. Microscope is you take something small and make it look big so you can see it or you can study it. Most of us microscope our problems, okay? Telescope takes something that is big 
and makes it look more like it really is. So when it comes to God, we are to telescope God, to take a massive God that's just beyond our comprehension and and see him more closely, more correctly. And again, see him correctly, we get joy, we get happiness. That's the capacity that God has. So I, I want to sh- take this telescope concept and I want to give a word for God. I want to add an adjective for God, break that down, and then move forward. Here's the word, incomparable. God is incomparable. When David says, magnify the Lord's greatness with me, and if we break that word greatness down, his greatness is in a class by by itself. You can't, a lot of times we compare things. Hey, he's tall in in relation to who? Yeah, everybody's tall in relation to Matt Evans, right? I mean, because I'm short, right? He's strong because he can bench this. That's a comparison, right? But God is incomparable. In fact, God is so beyond A.W. Tozer, a guy I love to read, wrote this, Eternity will not be long enough to learn all that God is or praise him for all that he's done. He's that incomparable. I mean, we get tired of our team's championship when the next season rolls around, right? Uh, Okay, we won the championship. What's next? Right? Oh, we had a great date night. Uh, That wears off after a while, right? We'll never get tired of God because he's incomparable. Let me give you three ways God's incomparable. First, he's incomparable in power. He's incomparable in power. Let's, let's just think for a second about how God knits the world and knits matter together. Think about this. When, when the first atomic bomb exploded in Hiroshima, okay, when it first exploded in, in, in Hiroshima, think about a couple of facts about this. It was 2,000 times more powerful than the most powerful weapon used, used in the history of modern warfare. The light from the blast would have been visible from Jupiter 390 million miles away. And, it, and the bomb used two pounds of uranium but fission only took place in one-third of one ounce, and it released that much power. And that's at a subatomic level. And that's how God holds the atoms which hold everything together. And then you go to a passage of Scripture like this, his incomparably great power, and where's that power leveraged? For us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and when he had to put Jesus' biology back together and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. He's incomparable in power. Second, he's incomparable in wisdom and knowledge. A lot of us spend our, uh, so much time trying to explain an inexplicable but yet undeniable God. He's inexplicable. We'll never be able to fathom all the whys and the hows and the why nots. Listen to this in Romans. Oh, first it's like, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, untraceable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? No one. We try but no one. And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. He's incomparable in wisdom and power. He's incomparable in those things. And the final one's the best news yet. Because it would be one thing, okay, his power is beyond, his wisdom is beyond. But what about, does it ever get personal for us? Yeah, because he's incomparable in love. 
is incomparable in love. One of my favorite prayers in all of the Bible, I pray it over the people of this church frequently. It comes from Ephesians 3. It talks about how he's incomparable in love. Listen to what Paul prays. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power. And this is God power, which is incomparable power. In your inner being through his spirit. So the spirit's power. God wants us to be strengthened with that. And what does he want us to get from that? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ may be at home in your life. And I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. It can't be written on a Hallmark card. It's incomparable. But I want you to know it so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This isn't a prayer that says, hey, people, you need to love God more. This is a prayer that says, hey, I am praying you understand more of God's incomparable love for you. It's incomparable. And so the beautiful thing is this, when we see God as incomparably great, there's just no comparison. So how do we do that? God is always seeking to show himself to people, but he invites us to seek him too. Listen to what David says. So he said, magnify the Lord's greatness with me, exalt the Lord's name. I sought the Lord. I wasn't passive. You seek out things that make you happy, right? You seek out the beach. You seek out the lake. You seek out that picture or you seek out your kids when you get home and you haven't seen them in a while or you text them. You seek it out. I sought the Lord. He answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him, remember when you see him correctly, what are they? Radiant with joy, half full, over full, right? Radiant with joy. Their faces will never, ever, ever be ashamed. So it looks like this. We seek God to see him correctly. We magnify God. We telescope God, make something big look more like it is to our souls. And we do that through his word and true worship. We see God through his word and when we truly worship him. We see him generally in creation. We see him specifically and specially through the word and worship. And then that impacts our thoughts. That impacts how we go about our day and how we see him move in that conversation, in that interaction, in that opportunity that we had at work or we had at home. And we see in our responses to all this, how we step and God's there to meet us and we obey and God's there to meet us. And we see God. God as we seek to see him clearly. So we're going to do something real different, okay? We're just going to pause because I don't, we don't even get to pause a lot and focus on God. And we've got a video and a song to help us magnify, to help us telescope the greatness of God.
So I've been praying that God's a little bit bigger in your spirit, your mind, your heart right now. And that you see him a little more correctly. Telescope, magnification. Now, hold that. What if that's how you went out into the world? Okay? I want to show you some examples, all right? We're all tempted people. We're tempted to prefer sin more than God. Listen to this story. It's from Joseph in Genesis, okay? After some time, Joseph's master's wife, Potter's wife, looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. It's a guy who's been sold into slavery by his brothers. He's in the prime of his life. He has biology. He has a sex drive. Sex makes people happy. Not going to lie. Look what he says. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil and how could I sin against God? God is so big to me and he's so satisfying to me. I can say no to you. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. David goes out and hears a massive man, a warrior named Goliath, taunting the armies of Israel. David says, I'll go fight him. And he says to this Philistine, you come against me with a sword, with spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down. Remove your head. Give the corpse of the Philistine camp, giving, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord. God is bigger than the giants. Magnification. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy and their faces will never be ashamed. How about the three Jewish boys that refused to bow down in Babylon and worship the king? And the king said, to the fire you go. The king said, fall down and worship the statue, and if you don't, you will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God, little G, who can rescue you from my power? The incomparable God, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you because his power is what? Incomparably great. But even if he does not rescue us, king, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up because our God is too big. 
I sought the Lord and he answered me and he rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. What about when your sin is big? When your past is full of regrets? When your closet is full of skeletons? Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy. I received mercy. And this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory and forever and ever and ever. Amen. This God is bigger. His mercy is bigger than my mess. He's incomparable in love and grace. I sought the Lord. And he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. And their faces will never be ashamed. We seek and we see. We magnify and we're satisfied. So here's my question. How do we seek God today? We must seek him like a treasure hunter. Like a worshiper. Not just like a scientist or a scholar or a Home Depot shopper. Seek him for who he is. Seek him because he's incomparably great and glorious and gracious and merciful and powerful in his love for those who believe. And then David closes a thought and he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. So here's our invitation. Maybe today you need to become a seeker of the Lord. Maybe today you see God correctly for the first time in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word, through the worship, and you're ready to surrender and give him the steering wheel of your life. Don't hesitate. You have found what your heart has been looking for. You have found the one who can satisfy your soul. You found the one that if you follow him, there's eternal pleasures at his right hand. Maybe today some of you have wandered away from him, but you see him and you hear him calling you back. When you see God correctly, it always demands and deserves a next step. And it's a step of surrender but it's the step of joy. Take that step. Take that step. As you see, the incomparably great God. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, just want to give you a moment of stillness and silence. And I'm going to quit talking. I just want us, God, to see through faith, through your word, through your creation, through your death and resurrection. May we taste and see that you are good, that you are good.
God, what do we do with what we see? Some of us need to surrender. Some of us need to take a step. God, would you direct the steps of your people as we see you in your mercy and your majesty, in your grace, in your goodness, and in your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.